We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, I'm a little late, but happy Australian Day. Oh, yeah, thanks, mate. Um, we don't celebrate it too heavily over here. It's a, a bit of a tinge day, Columbus Day-like, but um, you know, nice excuse to get with the family and friends, but uh, not the best one with the Spencer Dinwiddie news. Yes, sadly, we are going to talk about the injury. We kind of hinted at the last couple shows, but now confirmed Dinwiddie elected to get surgery after seeing two specialists. He'll get that Monday, and he'll be out three to six weeks. Do you think it was the right decision, Nick? I do. I do. I think uh, they looked at it, and I think Dinwiddie, like we talked about in the Nets organizations, conservative as it is, but I think Dinwiddie's a competitive guy, and he would have played through it if he really had the option. But I think there was a lot of op- a lot of chance to you know further injure the thumb, and obviously he's not an old player, so you don't want to take that risk. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. I would have I would have gone this gone down this route. You know, when we did the pregame and, and the postgame such discussing uh, all things Spencer Dinwiddie, we sort of discussed all scenarios, and I think this was. Um, the one that seemed the most likely, and I think the one that seemed most logical. It's just, uh, it's just going to be tough because we saw, you know, um, his absence. Despite the fact that Theo Pinson and Shabazz Napier were able to to contribute, um, it, it's going to be very hard to fill the void of one of the best driving six men uh, in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, Dinwiddie was putting up a nice stat line. Over 17 points per game, uh, five assists a game, 46% from the field, 36% from three, you know, over five free throw attempts a game. Also, checking the clutch stats via, you know, NBA.com, whatever they define clutch, I believe five minutes within five. He's played in pretty much 28 clutch games for the Nets, and that's most on the team. Yeah, I mean, he is the, the guy we've gone to down the stretch. Um, so D'Angelo's certainly going to have to step up in, in, in that sort of uh, part of the game. But, you know, we don't doubt that he he can do that. He's already done that over the past few games. But 
it just helps having that that other body out there that we know we can sort of rely on. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see going forward how uh, we can we can lift the slack. But um, it's a next man up mentality there in Brooklyn, and um, it's going to be a, a challenge, uh, but one that the boys should hopefully relish because it's um it's going to be a tough three to six weeks. Yeah, and this is kind of how players kind of get new roles or take that next step. You know, last year, you look at the Jeremy Lin, the D'Angelo Russell injury, that's how Spencer Dinwiddie came along. You know, he we still knew he was a good player, but we didn't know he was this good. And if there wasn't those type of injuries last year, you know, he never really would have gotten his chance to shine. So this is a great opportunity for Shabazz, great opportunity for Theo Pinson, like you said. Also, even D'Angelo to kind of solidify himself more as an all-star. Yeah, solidify himself as the guy. We uh, there's it, people were debating, you know, in terms of the the all star appearances. Is it is it Spencer or is it D'Angelo? Who is more worthy? And and a lot of people were on the Spencer Dimity bandwagon, and I don't blame them, um, because in terms of effectiveness and and, and reliability. Um, I think a lot of people probably see Spencer in that light compared to D'Angelo. So uh, this is this is a real opportunity for him to real, really cement his sort of standing uh, within the team. And uh, I think D'Angelo uh, really has uh, the motivation to do that uh, just uh, from an outsider looking in. Yeah, and I think one thing, it's going to be a great opportunity. We saw it last night. Teams are going to put more pressure on him. It's going to be him kind of adjusting to a new role because he's going to see a lot more double teams now. He's going to see a lot more. Well, I mean, he he saw them consistently last night against the Knicks, and um, there's going to be a lot more crafty defenses uh, than the New York Knicks going forward. You know, we've got the Boston Celtics on Monday, the San Antonio Spurs a few days after that. So it's going to be tough for him, uh, and he's going to have to learn to adjust, uh, and that's what the good players do. So if he wants to earn that big money, he wants to get that all-star appearance, he's going to have to continue to keep performing and, and doing so uh, with better defenses and better scouting reports for him. A hundred percent, Jack. And I think also his teammates can help him out. Like we talked about on the last show, you know, kind of getting in position to where they're open. You know, the double teams are going to come, but you can't always make the perfect pass. You need your kind of players to move into an open area to kind of complete that. Ed Davis did a great job last night. You know, we expect it from Jared Allen. We'll see what happens with the rest of the guys. But talking Shabazz and Theo Pinson, what do you expect from these two in terms of stepping up? Obviously, Shabazz is going to kind of almost be in Dinwiddie's role, and Theo's going to have an opportunity being another ball handler on the team. I think last night we saw a, a glimpse of things to come uh, against the New York Knicks. You know, we saw Shabazz, you know, get into the line 12 times. If he can continue to do that, then um, if he can do that every single game, then he's going to be bloody James Harden. But um, <laughs> I, I think that if he can continue to do that and push the push the effort in that sort of sense, get the get the other team in foul trouble and just use his craftiness and his body down low, um, he's going to find it hard. Um, but I, but I, I have some faith in him. And I think Theo's... Um, we saw a, a, a glimpse of, of that three-point shot falling like, um, you know, raindrops, but I'm not sure how consistent that is going to be, but it should give him some confidence going forward. Um, again, he's going to face some more sophisticated defenses um, coming up against, you know, the Celtics, the Spurs and the, and the Raptors and the Bucks uh, going forward. But, you know, uh, I think it's going to be, you know, by committee because we could have, you know, some of our wing guys stepping up. You know, uh, Rondé played a really nice game and, 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 you know, it doesn't seem like his injury is too serious. You know, Tamari Carroll has stepped up, you know, really under the radar for us and, and been able to just make plays. Joe Harris just does his thing uh, very consistently. Um, and, you know, Rodion's Kouros, you know, we could see some more outbursts for him. We could see the ball in his hands a few more times, him uh, making some plays. So uh, it'll be interesting, interesting to see, but it's always... Uh, a collective buy-in uh, that makes the Nets team uh, so great and has made them so great over this stretch. 
100%, Jack. I like the guys that you brought up, but I'll touch on Shabazz, like you said. I think his ability to kind of get to the free throw line, score a little bit. One thing I'd like to see him do better is lead that second unit. You know, Spencer sometimes knew that he could get it a shot, but he wanted to make sure he moved the ball around, get some of the other guys going first. I think Shabazz could kind of take a little note on that. Like you said with Pinson, we saw kind of uh, some potential last night. But, you know, some of the passes were a little bit off. I'm sure adjusting to the NBA speed, he'll face bigger defenses. So it's just a little adjustment for him. But I think the skill set is there. And like you mentioned, some of the other wings stepping up. Rodion's is a guy that really interests me because we saw him take some of the rebounds to just go straight on the fast break, get an easy layup. That stuff is going to be important moving forward when, you know, it might be hard to get offense without Dinwiddie sometimes. Yeah, I think that the emphasis um, that Coach Kenny has given the confidence with these guys is just to, to make plays, you know, get that ball moving. You know, uh, ball motion and, and player motion. You know, it's a it's a lot harder to defend uh, with this Nets team, and and Spencer Dinwiddie has has made a huge emphasis of that. Obviously, he is great isolated, but you know, he's also proven in the past that he's a great passer. So, uh, I think we're gonna have to see DeAndre sort of dictate the pace on, on that end of the floor. But uh, it's a pretty tough stretch coming up. You know, we've got the Boston Celtics with the San Antonio Spurs, the Bucks, Denver, Toronto, Portland, uh, the Spurs again. And then around that time, it's a sort of one-month mark. Um, so it, it's not going to be easy. Um, and, and who knows? Um, Karis Levert could be back um, by that stage as well. Or who, Spencer might be back first. Um, if you put money on it, Nick, who you got back first? I think I have Levert back first. Uh, you know, we kind of uh, talked about this off the show a little bit. Woj hinted at the video yesterday that Levert would probably be back before March. Then obviously in the report today, the Nets are hopeful he'll be back in February. So I feel confident he'll be back. They'll kind of, I don't think they're going to rush back Dinwiddie, especially being his thumb, you know, want to get his handles right, want to get his shooting, his shot right. So I would expect Levert to be back first, but he's probably going to have a slower process in getting back into a groove than Dinwiddie, who's only going to miss four to six weeks. You got to remember Levert's been out for, what is it, uh, almost three months now. And it'll be four months by the time he comes back. Yeah, it's all about the conditioning, the game conditioning. We saw when he was out, you know, last season, you know, we could see him go back to his old role of coming off the bench. I don't think that that would necessarily be a bad thing in, in any stretch. I think he could be, you know, a really supercharged sort of um, offensive gun, defensive gun off the bench, you know. Um, not necessarily in a similar vein to Gordon Hayward, but maybe, you know, similarities to that role. Um, obviously, with the depth that the Boston Celtics have, it's almost, you know, been forced on them. Um, but I think, you know, adding any, uh, a player of, of, of Karis Levert's quality um, is going to help no matter what, because, you know, we need the depth. And, you know, we, we, I'd love to have a guy like Jared Dudley back in the lineup as well. You know, even Alan Crabb just, just shooting some shots. It, it's, you know, we just need to have those bodies out there because, you know, it's about this team and it's about this depth, you know. It's not, you know, D'Angelo, Russell, Spencer, Dimity. You know, those guys generally do set the tone, but we need everyone stepping in, chipping in with their rebounding, chipping in with their hustle, chipping in with their steals and three-point shots. Um, it's This is a team, you know. We're, we're not, you know, a star-driven team. We are a team collective. Exactly. It's going to be a team effort. And getting back to Levert, I would 100% expect him to come back off the bench and kind of get slowly moved in. You know, if he gets back to the form we saw early in the year, I think he'll get back in the starting lineup. But there's no guarantee because it is such a weird injury that kind of takes you out of rhythm. So I wouldn't be surprised. We don't necessarily see him at 100% this year. I would like to, obviously, but there is a chance with a dislocation of your foot. It's just a weird injury that kind of can take you out of groove. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily matter. You know, in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, the Nets could even make a, another trade at the deadline to get, you know, a, another guy. You know, Thon, Thon McCurr is now on the market. Mm. I'm not sure how interested the Nets will be in that. But, you know, a, a, another really talented sort of young guy, young big man. 
But uh, I think that the Nets will obviously do their do their due diligence when it comes to a guy like Karis Levert. You know, he in the form that he's shown uh, before the injury, he was leading the most improved player conversation. He was, you know, all, nearly all star worthy. He was playing as well as D'Angelo Russell is now. You know, he was hitting clutch shots and he was playing some really good defense as well. So he is super important to the Nets' future this season and beyond. So I can't see them doing anything rash. You know, it's it's the Brooklyn Nets. We we know how Talk they roll. About- yeah, exactly. Talking about the well, when do you expect to see Dinwiddie back? I saw some reports that said probably early March or mid March. Yeah, I would probably say March. Up, but there's a part of me that just knows Spencer Dinwiddie is almost, and it's not to say that anyone else on this team isn't competitive, but he has this real competitive drive that I think um, not a lot of other players in the NBA have, and he's gonna like attack his you know, recovery with like a gusto that not many other players will. Like it could, it could almost speak to his detriment to an extent, but it is a thumb injury. So like, you know, there's not so much, you know, you can do in terms of re-injuring it and such, obviously, you know, putting the cast on and everything, but you know, he's going to continue to put in some, put in some reps, you know, get, in the, get on the bikes and, and doing what he has to do. So um, I wouldn't expect if he's back a little bit early, you know, three to six weeks is a, a, a very wide time frame. Obviously, um, the Nets want to give themselves some wiggle room. And because that, that time frame was put out there in the first place, funnily enough, I believe it was four to six on the original yes. reports. So um, three to six gives Spencer, you know, um, I, I think they probably put that out there for him because, you know, he's not, not like six weeks now. I'm, I'm going to be back in three. Um, that wouldn't be surprised me if he's back even earlier. I thought that was very interesting, Jack. All the talk initially was four to six weeks. Then Woj dropped the report, and it was three to six weeks. So, you know, there is a chance we could maybe see him at the end of February. Like, I wouldn't put out of the realm of possibility. Like you said, Spencer's super competitive, and I know he keeps his body in really good shape, and it's not a super serious injury. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's able to work himself back a little bit sooner. Now, talking about Dudley and Crab, when do you expect to see these two? Well, Dudley's hamstring injury, obviously, um, it's not something you you can really force yourself back faster, especially when you're obviously uh, a vet in this league. So for him, it's going to be about when he feels healthy because any sort of lower leg injury uh, when it comes to the muscles can be really easily uh, re-aggravated, you know, especially the hamstrings, the calves, those sort of things. They're really tricky little ones. Um so uh, they're, they're always going to go the conservative route with him. Uh, I think it's lucky that we've got a guy like Rondé still um, getting uh, slowly working his way back. You know, Rodon's is still doing quite well, and Damari's in very good form as well. So I don't think um, we're going to see him back. Uh, as for Alan Crabb, uh, I, I really don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I have no inkling, no sort of, you know, hunch on, on when we'll, we'll see Alan Crabb back. Um, my, my likely guess is, is post-All-Star break. Um, but at the same time, you know, that's still another couple of weeks, and you know, there's people talking about whether he gets packaged to, to, to move as well in, in, in some sort of dump deal. Um, I really have no idea with Alan Crabb. Yeah, the Crabb situation is very strange. We've kind of been completely in the dark on it. You know, in the injury report, it says sore right knee, I believe. It's not even like any type of idea. You know, you and I have kind of talked about maybe there's something a little bit more serious that they haven't released. I have a feeling we may see uh, Alan Crabb by the end of January or or okay. – over the first week, I would expect to see him prior to All-Star break. And if we don't see him prior to the All-Star break, I'm really concerned about the injury or I'm concerned there's something else that we don't know about the whole Alan Crabb thing. Not to say that there's like some drama or conspiracy, but something's up if we don't see him before All-Star break in my eyes, unless it's like an injury that he just hasn't recovered right from. 
Yeah, I mean, we've seen him on the bench and stuff. So, I mean, those are good signs. You know, we've obviously seen Karras and Jared, uh, all all three guys looking uh, very swag and, and, and fashionable, by the way, as the Yes Network team continue to point out. Um, Turtleneck yeah, gang. <laughs> oh, yeah, Turtleneck gang for sure. Um, you know, you've got to keep, keep warm in those uh, Eastern Conference Eastern seaboards, whatever, wherever New York is located. Oh, I don't know. There you go, Jack. <laughs> okay, cool. That, thanks, mate. Um, but I, I'm, I, it is worrisome. But at the same time, there could be complications along the way. And you know, with Alan Crabb, you know, I think that it's it's hard to say if a team is more conservative with one player than another. But it seems that way with Alan Crabb more than any other player over his sort of tenure over the last couple of years. It seems like you know the thrown him in cotton wool and sort of coddled him, you know, more than any other player. And that's not to say, you know, he was he was one of, you know, Sean Marks's, you know, marquee signings. You know, obviously hasn't gone down well and it probably is the only notch, um, negative notch on his record. So um Alan Crabb, hopefully we see him back sooner rather than later because um and we see him, you know, shooting well. Because yeah. if he's gonna come back and he's just playing that sort of, you know, defense rebounding role and he can't shoot that three, can't get into his rhythm, you know, for the next couple of weeks, then um, we don't really need another sort of Trevion Graham type. We need another, you know, sharpshooter who can who can get us some points. Yeah, and he doesn't provide probably the defense or the toughness Graham does. So he'd have to really fight for minutes if he's not knocking down his three point shot. Which also you brought up the point of possible trade. I know there's been a lot of speculation about that. It'd be interesting if the Nets moved him at the deadline. I think it'd probably be more likely if they moved him on draft night or around that time, just because that just seems like more of a Nets type of thing to do. But Jack, talking playoffs, the Nets obviously 27 and 23. They have a chance to reach uh, last year's win total in the next game if they beat Boston. But what would be your magic number for if the, for the Nets to make the playoffs? If they win X amount of games, they're a lock for the playoffs. A 40. I've just got the. Uh, there's just something about that four. I'm sure that you could probably get sneak in with 39 or 38. Um, but for me, I'm, I'm going 40 wins. Uh, that that makes me feel very very comfortable. Obviously, it's going to be very tricky. Um, to, to sort of get there. And funnily enough, that is our projected win-loss total by 538, 40 and 42, um, which would exceed my projections and probably a lot of others uh, for that matter. Um, but 40 for me is the magic number. Um, and I think that that probably gets us uh, with, with plenty of wiggle room at the same time. Yeah, I think that's a good number. I think that's a good number to probably make the eight seed at least. And that's only 13 more wins. The Nets are at the 50-game point, I believe, yeah, 27 and 23. So 50 games, they're going to have 32 more games for an opportunity to just win 13 more games. And at the rate they've played, obviously, over the last 24 games, they're 19 and 5. But that's with Spencer Dinwiddie. So long as they can kind of grind out some wins over this next month and then get fully healthy in March, just get to that 13-win number, I think they'll be fine. I actually expect them probably to finish hopefully above 500 or right at the 500 mark. Yeah, it's the end of the season that is just so tricky, Nick. You know, the last two weeks, Lakers, Portland, Philadelphia, Boston, Milwaukee, Toronto, Milwaukee again, Indiana, and ending in Miami at home will probably be fighting for a player spot as well. There's not going to be a lot of wins there. Um, and that's just saying because all those teams are generally better than us. And they're probably going to be wanting to solidify themselves at the same time. Hopefully, you know, there's some teams resting here and there. But, you know, um, there's certain periods, you know, the, the early March period, it looks kind of good for us. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's a game-by-game -game proposition for this team. 
I think the one positive about that late game stretch, ideally the Nets would be 100% healthy. So even though they're facing really good teams, it would be a great test before the playoffs to get you ready playing good basketball, where instead of, you know, you let's say you had the Knicks, you had the Hawks, you had the Bulls, you're playing bad teams and just kind of scraping them by and you're not having to play at your best. At least I think I'm viewing that as a positive where, all right, they have to play good against these teams to grind out wins if they really want to get in the playoffs. And like you said, I would almost guarantee – Milwaukee and Toronto might be resting guys in those games just because they'll probably have their spots locked up unless those two are still fighting for one or two seed. But the way Toronto's kind of handled health this year, I don't think they're super concerned about getting, you know, number one or number two. They're more concerned about Lowry and Kawhi being at 100% level. Yeah, and and I think that, you know, if you're looking at it in a glass half full proposition, um, you know, that's obviously a a positive. You know, if you want to be versing the best teams heading into – you know, a, a postseason where you're versing no one else but, you know, those sort of teams. Um, you know, if you're versing, you know, a Chicago or a, or a Cleveland in those final two games, yeah, it's nice to get those uh, win-loss projections back up, but it doesn't necessarily mentally and physically prepare you for the rigors of what is playoff basketball, which this team, um, not many of these guys know. Uh, obviously, it's still a, a ways to go. We still need to solidify our position there, but, you know, it's, it's a long grind still, uh, you know, a, a solid two and a half months to go, and you know, there's plenty of things that can happen along the way. So uh, we're not going to count our, uh, our count our stones yet. Yeah, exactly. I think what they did, though, is put themselves in a great position at this point in the season to make the playoffs. I think another thing looking at it, you mentioned the schedule. They have a seven-game road trip at the end of March. Like, that is a really tough road trip. It's a West Coast trip as well. You know, they ended in Philly, but that's going to be a tough one, another kind of test to get them ready for the playoffs. It's all, it's, all these things are about preparation and, you know, the opportunities for growth. Um, and I think that this team, you know, over this sort of last 25 games has relished those sort of opportunities. There's been ups and downs and, you know, some bad performances here and there. But, you know, for the most part, they've, they've banded together and, and they've exceeded expectations and then some. So, you know, we take each little challenge as it comes. You know, uh, we are now saying the collective we because we podcast that regularly that we're a part of the team. You know, we're, yeah. we're the six, we're the six men on the sidelines. You know, our pregames are what's getting them the, the W's <laughs> apparently. Um, Undefeated during the pregame, Jack. That's what it's about, my dude. Um, but, yeah, it, it's going to be... Uh, a fascinating into this season and um you know i'm i'm, I'm staying I'm, I'm in for the ride and, and hope you are too buzz fans yeah and uh just throwing this out there i think this was via pooch on twitter uh this is the best stretch the nets have ever had or the best stretch they've had since i think 2005 or 2006 something along those lines so they're on a historical stretch right now like you said kind of taking it day by day and enjoying every moment but jack any final thoughts on any of the injuries or playoffs before we get out of here Oh, we covered plenty of it, Nick. Yeah, we're pretty comprehensive. You know, we did a podcast bloody yesterday and we're doing another one today. <laughs> there aren't many, there are, there, there is no, there is no Brooklyn Nets podcast out there that is providing you this much content, guys. And uh, it's about time we toot our own horns. Yeah, no, shout out to you, Jack. You've been grinding extra hard, obviously, with the player breakdowns too. Follow my man on Twitter at the JMANJBT. You can follow me at OTG Nick for in game stuff. As always, a pleasure, Jack. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Check us out iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network.
Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.